9to5.cc. We're not working. Why should you? Thanks for listening. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Go Plug Yourself podcast. This week, we are extremely proud to announce that our guest is none other than Montreal Gazette reporter Pat Hickey, who's been covering, uh, I mean, well, been journalist and covering sports off and on for a very long time. We talk about getting started in the 60s. We talk about how he ended up at Studio 54 one night. We talk about P.K. Subban. We talk about playing tennis. Uh, listen, like the length of this podcast is nowhere near long enough to even begin to cover the amazing career that Pat Hickey has had. And as you may have read about or heard about on Twitter, online, or wherever have you, uh, Pat is about to retire. He's going to be retiring uh, in just a couple of weeks. So uh, stay tuned, uh, like I said, for whatever Pat is has coming up next. And be sure to read his columns for the next couple weeks in the Montreal Gazette because uh, his career is uh, is coming to an end as he retires after an extremely long time as a sports journalist and as a journalist in general. Uh, he's an amazing talk, chat, back of grumpies. It was great. Can't say this enough. Uh, Chris Mendito sits as co-host on this one, and it's a real good time. Uh, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show with Pat Hickey. Do you want to hit it? Go plug yourself. You plug another plugger. Go plug yourself. You plug another plugger. Go plug yourself. You plug another plugger. Go plug yourself. It's time for another go plug yourself party. This is why we uh, usually record at like five. Grumpy's is popping off. I couldn't get here for five today. I, I know. First of all, I'm first just, of all, hang on. First of all, yes. Your house wasn't in the in the heart of the most degenerate part of the city, <laughs> where you can't park anywhere. I when I came into to Grumpy's because the studio. <laughs> when I came into the studio, aka the back of Grumpy's, I saw nothing but like those red things over the parking meters, and I was like, "Oh, where's Chris gonna park?" It's I gonna... parked in front of one. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just testing the testing the city of Montreal. I'm gonna I'm gonna file it back to nine nine to five. Oh, shit, your corporate expense Yo, account. Uh, Keith, yes, we sir. got a great guest today. I'm excited. I'm pumped. I'll tell uh, you what happens. Go ahead. I'll give you the exact rundown of what happened. Uh, January thirtieth, January thirty first. I follow a lot of Habs stuff on general on Twitter. Twitter blew up. Habs Twitter blew up about a particular announcement about a particular famous, iconic Habs hockey beat writer. Uh, it, it blew up so far as on other hockey podcasts that I listened to, everyone was shouting out this man's name. Yeah. And I was like, yo, did you hear about Hickey? I like, talked to you. I was like, we should get him on the show. And I told you, I, I Pat, Pat Hickey's here, by the way, yes. folks. The one and only <laughs> Don't fucking Pat Hickey. I had inside information because Pat and I, among Pat's many accomplishments, he's a very funny comedian, and we were on shows the weekend right. before you announced, and it depressed me at the shows. We did two shows together. Oh, man. And I'm like, oh, fuck, this is, Pat Hickey's leaving. And it was funny because the second night, um, we were doing a show, and one Otis Grant was there okay. in the front row. And I was, I was uh, very, you know, uh, stupidly making fun of Otis for a bit. And, and then I realized something while I was on stage is that two of the most important people to Montreal sports ever were in the room that <laughs> night. One was on the show. One was in the front row. And I was like, that's fucking really cool for a guy like me who loves sports. Yeah. So when you told me, like, ask Patty if he wants to be in the podcast, I'm like, finally, I guess we could agree on. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. 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 Uh, welcome to the show, Pat. Thank this you. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome to have you. It's a, a huge, huge honor. Like it's it's crazy. Like we said, outpouring. I think on Twitter is an understatement of like everybody. Yeah. Like obviously we saw you know like Jack Todd, your Stu Cowens, the people you'd recognize. But you were just saying we even saw the press conference with Mar- like Marty St. Louis, coach of the Habs, giving you a, a tribute as well. Like how like yeah. a guy you covered as a player. Yeah. How that? How how's that make you? How's that feel for you? <laughs> well, I mean it. it it, it felt good. I mean, you know, I mean, if we want to go back, I mean, I covered John Bellabos as a fire player. I, so. I know, Pat. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I covered I covered Bellabos' 500th goal. It's uh, uh, it's interesting. There's an award for for the sports uh, hockey writer of the year, you know, in the Hall of Fame. It's the Elmer Ferguson Award. 
And next year will be the first year in the history of the NFL, NHL, that Elmer Ferguson or I won't be around. Wow. Oh, wow. He was there for the founding of the NHL in 1917, and we were colleagues at the Montreal Star in 1965. Old Montreal Star. Readers, uh, if you're out there, that's a newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, here's just a newspaper. I mean, I guess we should back it up to the Montreal Gazette. Wasn't always just a website. No, you know? exactly. <laughs> I mean, it still is a print publication, but if, for most of your career, it was a print publication. How long were you at the Star before you went to the Gazette? I was, well, I was only well, there. It happened later in life, right? I, I was there for two years, and I went to the Gazette. And when I went to the Gazette to cover the Alouettes, and Red Fisher said, as soon as I become the sports editor here, you have to come back to the Star. And two years later, I got a call from Red saying, I got the job, turned in your notice, and I went back to the star. It's <laughs> amazing. And you when were Red together. Fisher tells you to just quit your job and come work for him, you, exactly. you listen. You do it. You do. What was that like, if I may ask? Because you, you've worked, you took over for Red in our generation as the voice. Like, we were younger. Yeah. I'd read the Red Line every Saturday, and then that became your column. Yeah. And it's the best part of the newspaper for me was every Saturday was reading that. What was it like for you to take over for Red just for that specifically? Well, you know, it was it was an honor. It was an honor working with him. Uh, at various times, I was his boss. He was my boss. I was his boss again. Uh, you know, we uh, over the years, um, he was my he was my mentor, my uh, you know, my guide, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, he taught me. A lot that I know in the business when I first started out, and we remained friends in, until his death. Um, you know, it was really sad. Uh, about a year and a half before he died, he broke his hip and was in hospital. And I remember uh, at one point it was really depressing because he was so he was so depressed. And they were trying to find him a spot in a, in a rehab home. He was in the hospital. They wanted to find him a spot in Maimonides, and there, was no, there were no beds available. And I remember Red saying, I'll buy a fucking bag. <laughs> just, you know, just get me out of here. I'll bet. And uh, hospitals are depressing places. I can imagine. Yes. Yes, indeed. I was going to say, we talked a little bit about it, but Chris had a stint in a hospital recently. It's not a, it's not a great yeah, they're time. Yeah, not fun. Not yeah. fun. Uh, Pat, I really, like, there's so, like, I have laundry list of questions. Don't know where to start, but yeah. I guess we'll start somewhat chronologically. Uh, how did, how and when does being a journalist enter your mind growing up? How and when does being a sports journalist enter your mind when you're growing up? And how does, how does that even kick, yeah. kick everything off? You just said nearly 50 years of covering sports. Well, I like to I like to say that it's in the blood. My great grandfather was an editor at the New York World. Okay. Uh, my name's Patrick Valentine Hickey, and I'm the fourth. Oh, okay. So the original Patrick Valentine Hickey was an editor at the New York World. He moved from Ireland. He moved from Dublin. Got I was going to say, is that Greek? <laughs> he got a he got a job at the uh, at the New York World, and then. Uh, Started a couple of Catholic newspapers in New okay. York, and uh, but but the real the, my journalism career really started when I called my English teacher in SLB. Okay, and uh, <laughs> a little context is needed here. We had a we, I was going to this boarding school in Connecticut, and we had an English teacher who used to used to beat the shit out of kids. Actually, it's uh, and. Um, and he used to call himself a symbol of benevolence. Okay. So, so one time I had to write an essay, and I I put on the cover page, respectfully submitted to Algie Mikas, B-A-M-A-S-O-B. Right. And then <laughs> symbol of benevolence, except that they, the school didn't take it the right way, and they suspended me. <laughs> uh, and But... You know, if you're walking around calling yourself a symbol of benevolence, you're, but, you're asking for it, though. Like. But Professor, uh, but uh, his, his teacher was also this, the uh, the moderator for the school paper. Okay. So, anyway, 
he convinced me that I was I was a good writer and I should get out of the school newspaper and I did and, and that was the beginning of it. So this this was coming out of like did you from high school did you take like study journalism did you get, I, start I, working right away like I studied journalism one year at St Mary's University they had a journalism diploma program and they disbanded it the year after my first year. <laughs> and, so you uh, broke you broke the mold. Uh, uh, <laughs> Actually, Steve Armitage, who was working long time, uh, yeah, yeah, long time CBC, was was one of my classmates. One of your classmates, and, oh. yeah. And uh, Steve played football. I played basketball. And we were good friends, and uh, and we remain good friends to these days. That's this amazing. Day. But I, I I dropped out after my third year. I was supposed to get a job in Halifax. I came to Montreal to visit some friends. I heard it was a job opening the Montreal Star, and sports was just an accident. I mean, I was interested in sports, obviously. Yeah. And uh, but uh, sports was easy because you didn't have to you didn't have to speak French, and then uh, I got a sports job. And That's awesome. And so what? Then this is 1964. 65. 65. 65. Yeah. So you you were coming in here, you were started covering a team pre-expansion. Yes, yes. You, you were covering- I, 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 well, I covered my first NHL game in 1968. Okay, so it's just... That just, was, again, was pre-expansion. Well, yeah, yeah. expansion was starting. Yeah. So, I guess, and you've been famous in your, your, out your career, obviously driving to a lot of games and, and stuff, and how much easier was it when it was just 12 teams to get navigate the schedule? Um, well, it was, it was, uh... I mean, for a few of those years, I, I, I didn't do a lot of traveling. No? Okay. Um, but, you know, it was interesting because in those days, you traveled by train when there were six teams. Yeah. And you did almost everything by train. Um, you, For example, you'd, you'd play the Rangers here on a Saturday night. Then you'd play them in New York on a Sunday. Both teams would get on a train overnight. Together, yeah. And, and go to New York. And the Canadians, the Canadians would get up. They get off the plane. They get off the train, and they would all go to St. Patrick's Cathedral for Sunday Mass. Most of the players were Catholics. Of course, yeah, yeah. And they would go to the Mass, and then they would go sleep for a couple of hours, and then play a game that night. That's crazy. That's wild. Like you just, I just imagine nowadays being like, "Hey, coach, I can't make morning skate. I, but go, I, I got, got go Sunday Mass. I got Sunday Mass." <laughs> You different know what, world, well, different world. It's it's a different world. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because there, there was a before my time. There was a player named Paul Haynes, and he's the guy that they convinced Rocket, convinced the Canadians to move Rocket to the off wing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, but Paul Haynes played for the Canadians, and Dick Irvin Senior was a coach, and Dick Irvin Senior cut him because he missed a curfew one night. In New York. Now, guess what he was doing? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure any number of things in he New went, York City. He went, to, he went to the opera. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the, a couple years back, That was the, there was the big, um, there was the drama with Radulov. Yeah. Right where Radulov was out, not at the opera. He was out partying right. in the... In Nashville. At the opera. At the opera. The, yeah. Exactly. Just definitely the opera. Yeah, it's a the different. opera started tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the night started at the opera, but yeah. Well, it's like it's like guys used to guys would come teams from out of town would, would come into Montreal mm-hmm. and they would joke about going to the ballet. Yeah, which would be Chez Paré, you know. <laughs> just, uh, is that a real? I've always wanted to ask this question to somebody who knows. Is that a real consideration? The Montreal, the, the Montreal advantage that people talked about for years. The it, unwritten, it the unwritten to, advantage. It used to, it used to be called the Montreal flu. Montreal flu, yeah. And uh, and uh, there were guys like you know the late Bobby Hull who just left us recently. I mean he would he would live at the Venus de Milo room, and which is long gone. And mm. uh, but it was a the club with some music and and lots of available women. Uh, Stan Makita would come in, and he would sit in the back back corner of the uh, Mansfield Tavern. And just drank until, until he couldn't drink anymore. <laughs> and then play a game the next day. Yeah, I was like, this, the, the 70s dynasty has a whole other, like, lens yeah. on it, right? If you're all of a sudden, yeah, of course they were winning four games that are, like, four well, cups I, in a I, row. I've mentioned this on this show before. 
it's more in context of the NBA. Yeah. If if we had social media in the eighties and nineties, the there, it would have been a completely different world. But I imagine for hockey too, the eighties and nineties were a lot wilder, and so the the lack of social media helped that those generations yeah have a cleaner image than let's say today's guys do. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think teams probably drink less than they did, um, and certainly you're more uh, you're more discreet about it because yeah. there is social media, and because you can end up with you know your picture and anywhere yeah. Twitter and Facebook and whatever. And uh, but I mean, it's also I think that the athletes are held not not even ignore morality. I think athletes these days are held to a higher, like, physical standard, right? Like, there's all those, like, old black and white photos of guys, like, drinking beers between periods and well, stuff. Yeah. Nowadays, just physically, they're well, like... Why you steal, bro? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you got Guy LaFleur used to, used to smoke between periods. Yeah, exactly. That. That's it. You know, I, I think athletes are better conditioned. One of the... Uh, there's a famous letter from Bunch, Punch Imlock about before training camp in the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. And basically saying we're going to be running a lot, we're going to get in shape, and but don't forget to bring your golf clubs. <laughs> and uh, you know, like training camps were a month long. There were one or two exhibition games, but mostly those were yeah, just to get in shape from guys who didn't do anything during the summer. Now guys train twelve months of the year. Yeah, that's it. That's what like they were saying. Even like when Stanley Cup winning teams, they get like a couple weeks off, but then they're yeah, they're back in. They're back into training. Like Colorado that. struggled this year, right? That's why teams have a hard time the year after winning. Yeah, it's it because they're you take a month off from your training Together. regime to party and celebrate, and you're. It certainly didn't help my Rams in the NFL. So, <laughs> so that's a Stanley Stanley Cup hangover, and you know, yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah. it's very hard to repeat. It, it's hard enough to repeat now with with free agency and and change rosters changing. And a lot of times when a team wins the Stanley Cup, every player wants to get rewarded. They mm-hmm. want a little more money and if their contracts yeah, yeah. are coming up. We saw that with Chicago a couple of times. They won the Stanley Cup and they had to get rid of guys like Bufflin. And yep. uh, and uh, it's just uh, it's just part of the game today. You get the salary cap. There's only so many raises you can give. Yep. I was, I was going to say that was also – because of the pandemic and the and the summertime cup or whatever, I saw that statistic that the Tampa Bay Lightning, in a 365 day period, I don't remember the number, but yeah. it was some absurd number of hockey games because they like played in the yeah. summer, then went all the way through to the final the next right. year, like yeah. like 110, 112, like it was yeah. like an absurd number of hockey games. And in the it. NHL got got away. I, I you know I. You, Pat, you know it's better than me, but I believe the NHL has, uh, like, I don't want to say the weakest union, but they have the they don't have the least amount of leverage, NHL players, because they turned around very quickly to play the second season during COVID. Yeah. Like, the NBA, NFL, that wasn't happening. MLB wasn't happening. But the, the hockey guys are back right away. Well, and part of, part of that was just the weird, the, if Pat will probably know this better, but, like, that was all bundled up that the players didn't want to owe money in escrow they and everything need, that's else. That's right. They they yeah. needed they needed to play to, to cut back on, on some of the money they owed. Yeah, because that's it, because the they were going to owe back money in escrow. The only way they could get paid was to play. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, Donald Fear, who was a longtime head of the baseball union, just uh, just resigned or was forced out of the, uh, the NHLPA. He's they, been longtime NHL union head at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. And they and they they just hired uh, Marty Walsh, who was the U.S. Secretary, Secretary of Labor, former mayor of Boston, uh, and he's the new head of the Players Association. It'll be interesting to see how how he does. It's a very flashy uh, hire. Yeah, it is. Nothing pretty, else. Yeah. 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 I mean, the thing is that you know, there's some speculation that that. He was available because Biden turned him down as his chief of staff. Okay. Yeah. He was the Secretary of Labor. And uh, there's some question as to whether whether he's the right guy. He's not a lawyer, but he does have a lot of union experience. Coming out of uh, high school, he, he went, he started college, and then he started working the building trades. 
And at 21 or 22, he was the head of the Builders Union in, in Boston. Oh, wow. And then he went back and finished his degree at night. But um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how what he brings to the job and yeah. whether he does the job. How much Bettman has left, right? I mean, 30 years. Did you ever imagine when Bettman was hired yeah. that he get the last 30 years? Yeah, uh, what was, yeah, what was the initial take? You're uh, covering Bettman's hire. <laughs> Well, you know, he was just another lawyer that yeah. they brought in. You know, I mean, he replaced the lawyer. Uh, you know, the, the presidents or the commissioners of the league uh, have always been lawyers. Haven't really been. Yeah. Haven't been uh, Clarence Campbell. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, uh, I'm surprised he's lasted as long as he has. But But if you look at it, the owners love him. Yeah, he's well, made them a and, lot and, of he's, money. and exactly, he's like, he's not accountable to the fans. He's not accountable to the players. He's accountable to the owners. The Those owners, are his that's boss. Right. They like, pay his, they pay his salary, and he yeah. does a job for them. So yeah, he's not going. Speaking of the the labor and the union stuff, what's the worst labor situation you ever covered? It doesn't matter what sport, but yeah. I'm wondering, uh, was it the Expos? Did you cover the Expos in '94 at all, or? Was yeah. it when the, the hockey was canceled? The most painful one was the Expos. Yeah. When they were they were leading the leading Major League Baseball, the best record in Major League yeah. Baseball could have brought a could have brought a championship yeah. to the city. Yeah, and uh, and it just disappeared. And then the next year they started dismantling the team. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you're, um, you're, in your opinion, I mean, like I said, you're very in touch with the Montreal sports scene, sports fandom. I've always held it in my mind. That if there's a World Series that year and the Expos win, still we, we still have the Expos. Like, do you think that that would have been the kickstart that really, like, because I seem to remember, like, yeah. I went to a couple games that season. I was a little yeah. kid, mind you. Yeah. Like, fans were showing up. Fans were getting behind the team. Does a championship turn it around? I don't think so. No? You think they're gone anyway? Because I think I, I think that, you know, I mean, it took a while for them to leave, but it was, it was obvious that Charles Bronfman was not happy with, with the situation. Right. Um, I mean, here's, you know, people talk about bringing the Expos back. Right. Now, one year, Rusty Staub wanted $100,000. They offered him 95000 and when he didn't take it, they traded him. Yeah. <laughs> then, Charles complained, when, before he bailed, he complained about Gary Carter making a million dollars. Yeah. Million dollars doesn't get you a batting practice pitcher these days. Oh, yeah, for sure. <coughs> Sorry. No, I don't know. I mean, I know people want to have the Expos back. I think a lot of people are nostalgic for baseball. I personally, you have 81, 82 home games. I don't games. see it working in this city. I don't, I don't, see, the, I don't see the city getting I, I behind would, the team. I would 80, buy, 80 I would buy plus home games. games. But not enough people would buy season tickets. Yeah, that's it. That's your, your what you're looking at is you need somebody to come in with $2 billion. Yeah. At least. Least. You know, there's a, a billion, uh, you know, a billion to get the, to buy the team, uh, five hundred thousand dollars to uh, five hundred million dollars to build the stadium, yeah. and then you another five hundred million dollars you're gonna lose. Yeah, and like I said, I don't think it, I don't think it lasts. I think there'll okay. be a season or two of excitement, and then you'll have a team uh, that yeah. nobody's going to and attending. It's I mean, the Boston Red Sox this year. I think their their budget's gonna be their player salary payroll. It's going to be $250 million. Quarter of a million. That's crazy. So the Mets are going to be in the 300s. Well, That's psychotic. And yeah, I, I, I don't insane. think. It's insane. I don't think you. If the team isn't like a. Even if they're a winning team, I guess you have too much stuff in the summer. Is it? Is it? Randy, you know, like you're competing yeah. against everything. Like. Randy Teeman, another Montreal uh, sports icon, used to say that Montreal is an event city outside of the Canadians. I, I, think, I think that's true. I th- uh, I've always said that for comedy and stuff. That's like you look at it as the same style. Like yeah. during the festival, it's a big event, but then around the around the year, it's 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 harder to pull tickets. And I think yeah. it's true in sports too that it's the Canadians, and then it's David Beckham's in town or the wrestling's in town. The, the Rogers Cup tennis, you know, is an example. You yeah, know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Every you, year. you covered tennis for a number of years. Yeah. You know, years, years, years ago. When they just when they first built the Olympic Stadium, now everybody says Olympic Stadium is a lousy place. Nobody nobody knows where it is. Yeah. So now 
one night they had 65,000 people there to watch Aida, the opera. Hmm. There aren't 65,000 opera lovers in this city. <laughs> but they had, a, they had an elephant. So, you know, it's, it was an event. It yeah. was an event. Um, and, uh, you know. Hey, during the Alouette's heyday, they packed it in, 40,000, 50,000. Well, 50, well, they had 68,000 for, for a manic game, you know, soccer game. Uh, well, yeah, I was there when the, uh, like, when you said Beckham. Like, I, I was at yeah, the big, when, yeah. when the Galaxy came with Beckham, yeah, there was, Big O was full. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, are they, so, the know, next, next week, the Impact game has 10,000 yeah, people yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, you know, it's just, uh, you know, if, if you can get a star, if you can get a big name, it's, uh, um, you know, you can pack the place. Uh, I mean, for the first couple of years, the Expos were at Olympic Stadium. They drew 2 million people a year. Mm-hmm. People out of town writers would come up here and they would write about what a great place this was. Yeah. You get on a subway, 12 minutes from downtown, the subway's <laughs> clean, it's quiet. Yeah. Now it's too far. Yeah. <laughs> now we're like, the stadium's too far away. 20 minutes tops on the subway, yeah. but no, it's yeah. too far. It's too far. <laughs> it's yeah. too far. I never knew, I never thought how <coughs> the alternative plan was the door, the the horse track. Which yeah, is Hippodrome. also quite far from the center city. Yeah, yeah. If we're gonna like use that type of math, anyways. Yeah, that's no, crazy. What's been, what's been the your proudest moment working in in this job, which I'm sure is thankless in a lot of ways. But for yeah. you, what what was your? <laughs> you look back on it now. It's like I was really happy to be involved in this. Yeah, I was. Bellabo's um, uh, uh, 500th goal was was a big deal. Mm. I was in Atlanta when uh, Donovan Bailey won the 100 meters oh, and, cool. and beat the Americans, and then yeah, they beat them in the relay. Yeah. You know, uh, that was big. Like I, Again, that was 94? I, I ended up on the... 96. Atlanta, I, 96. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I ended up on the front page during the Atlanta Olympics because I was I was a, a block away from the bomb when it went off. Oh, oh shit. shit. And, you know, I wrote a story about that. Another time, I just happened to be in London the time that the... Um, the IRA lobbed a bomb into uh, the garden at uh, 10 Downing Street. Oh, shit. And again, I wrote a story about that night. And and uh, so, I'm in the 93 um, Stanley Cup, the last win. Yeah. And then the riot afterwards um, was, you know, was pretty, pretty surreal. Uh, well, some of which y'all's... Best moments in sports yeah. and music involve just yeah. massive riots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, um, Speaking of the Big O, right? There was a riot there for Metallica. Metallica, yeah, yeah, yeah. Metallica, yeah. Guns and Roses. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, I was. I remember here. It shows how it shows how our expectations are lower. I was across the street in Hurley's. I, I think they beat. They beat Boston in a playoff round, mm-hmm. and people rioted. Yeah, uh, I think that was some like uh, that was that was that was bad seeds. I, that right. was early two thousands, right? We're talking about. I, I remember well because I remember the 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 twenty fifteen. That wasn't riots. Yeah. It was more party. Twenty ten yeah. got ish riot ish because that was the I game, remember, se- game seven Washington game seven Pittsburgh. I think because they were game sevens. Yeah. They got, like, there was tear gas. There was some yeah. looting, whatever. That was 2010. I think that was the closest we got. I, I think, was there not? Nothing's ever going to touch Vancouver. No, but not, not, not anything recent. Vancouver ever. was. That Vancouver, was really bad. Yeah. They lost. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I thought, wasn't there one year we lost, that the Habs lost in the early 2000s against Boston? First round where there was a bad riot? Or they won? I think they won. I think they, they won, won against Boston. Yeah. And I was I was in Hurley's and I had my car parked on Crescent Street, and people were lobbing bottles from that hotel across the street. Oh man! Uh, so I ended up moving my car into one of the parking lots. Smart, <laughs> smart, smart, smart. <laughs> I always remember the that that 2010 uh, that 2010 run because it is like has by far one of my all time like gonna stand out as like my most Montreal memory ever. I was. I was watching the game in, at my buddy's house, uh, NDG Westmount on Sherbrooke, 
uh, and I was going, I just started dating my wife now, because it's 17 years ago or whatever sure, it is. Sure, sure, Yeah, huh? It's 17 years ago. 15 wow. years no, ago? it's 15, 11 years 11 ago. 11 years ago. Yeah. No, 12. I mean, 12 years ago. We're, we're, I don't know. It's actually 13. 13, 13 years, yeah. years ago. Yeah. 13 to 20. Two young guys that Pat's yeah. like, you idiots. Pat's like, what the fuck am <laughs> I doing here? <laughs> Either way, hopped on my skateboard and skated downtown because everybody was like, you heard cars honking yeah, yeah. and everything going nuts. And there was a guy on the corner of St. Catharines and Atwater just had an open 2-4 handing them out. And I was yeah. skating down the middle of St. Catharines Street because there no cars anywhere. Yeah. And just, like, reached out, grabbed a beer from some stranger, like, opened the beer, and just kept skating down. And I was like, this is the best city in the <laughs> world. I was like, I'm just skateboarding down the main street of the city and just grabbed a beer from a stranger, offered freely. When it was a party, it was good. Obviously, later in the night, I think it yeah. descended, but... Well, that was... I mean, that was... That, of course, was uh, P.K. Subban's debut yep. in the playoffs. And Halak being uh, a monster. Uh, Halak was tremendous. Uh... The uh, I remember when Camilleri was yeah, scoring Camilleri goals. Was, yeah. Camilleri scoring goals and, at will. And there was a uh, when PK arrived in Washington, mm-hmm. and there were no room for him and no stalls available for him. Okay. And he and he sat in a in a folding chair in the middle of the room <laughs> and put his clothes on that. And uh, I, I the reason I Keith knows I said something this podcast before. <laughs> It hasn't been the same for me as a Habs fan since PK left, and the ceremony was nice, but it, it, it didn't do enough for me uh, in terms of gaining my fandom back. Yeah. The whole reason a generation like me was obsessed with PK Subban was they literally threw him into Game Seven of a Stanley Cup playoff run, yeah. and he was instantly the best defenseman on the team. Yeah. yeah, right. He was. It was, and then he just they just rode him the rest of the playoff run. Yeah. yeah. As a number one, maybe number two at worst on most yeah, things. Yeah, I think, like I said, Chris, you're younger than me, but I think a lot of a lot of people in your age group, that was when, like, the PK trade, like, burned them. Because you thought PK was a lifer. Like, you're Well, like, I went to his first ever game, Pat, which was the night before the Olympics. Remember? In 2010, the, uh, the, the Habs were shut, about to shut down for the Olympics, and they called him up for this random game against Philly, ironically enough. Yeah. And uh, it was... I went to his first game, and like that's how old I am. I saw somebody's yeah. first game and last game, <laughs> but it's crazy. We were talking about that off air. But what well, was PK as fun to cover as he was to watch? He was a lot of fun to cover. Uh, I can understand why he he yeah. rubbed his teammates the wrong sure. way. Yeah, I, I think I also mean, PK 20, like... PK was always on. Yeah, he was always on, <laughs> and, and I think that um, if you ever watched him. Before games, lining up for the national anthem, and he never stopped moving. Yeah, yeah. Ele- like he was shuffling yeah. all the time. Yeah, electric. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he had oh, uh, ADD or ADD yeah. or you yeah. know. Um, I- I'll say know, it. Just uh, takes one to hyper, know one. Hyperactive, I- I <laughs> hyperactive. You know, just uh, and uh, and it, they could. I mean, I loved it because he was. You know, he was always. Always great to be around. Yeah. And but I can see where he could upset some of his teammates. Andre Markov, who who mentored PK and really did a lot for his career, just couldn't stand him. <laughs> and uh and yeah, I, mean, I think I think it's also one of those things too where especially looking back, I don't know if now in twenty twenty three the same decisions are made. Yeah. Because like he was, like you said, high energy High yeah. demand, a lot of center of attention. Even if he wasn't being the center of attention, he's sitting there bouncing off the walls. It's a lot to deal with. I think nowadays maybe there's a little more patience for that, but I can kind of understand back in the day, you, hockey is a ultimately... He's playing for Jacques Martin at the time, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, That's if, it. If, it's he like, was, if he was playing in the NBA... Or the NFL, yeah, where personalities be have different, a, be different. Yeah, that's be it. Different. Hockey's always that sport. NHL right? Whereas, is a little more low key. Yeah, uh, quiet. I think. I think. Uh, Watch the same interview a hundred times. I mean, <laughs> but you know, the thing is, I mean, they did the same thing. They did. They did the same thing to him that they did to Mike Camilleri. Yeah, Mike Camilleri was a pain, pain in the butt to be around. Yeah, and uh, you know, he was all about Mike Camilleri. Yep. And he just wasn't as loud as PK. <laughs> was it well, talented? 
What? You say it wasn't as talented as PK? No, it wasn't as loud. It wasn't as loud. It wasn't as loud, yeah. yeah. I, like, I remember when this, about, about 10 years ago, so like in 2013, 2014, when like goal celebrations started happening in hockey and there were all kinds of writers and pundits being like, no, like a goal is a team effort. Don't celebrate. Don't show, don't put a show on the ice. Well, that's the baseball, hockey, right? Uh, but now uh, complexion problem that the yeah, sports have. Yeah, and you still you still hear it now. Like we just saw uh, Connor Connor Bedard got took grief for doing the heartbreaker, which is like the tiniest little celebration. He made a heart and punched it. Yeah, not, yeah. not even over the top, but somehow still hockey pundits are like too much. And I was like, yeah, yeah. all these kids grew up though. Now I think watching some of the flashier players idolizing some of the flashier players and i i do think it's kind of changing right like how many kids were doing the triple oh five and rinks around montreal but no Jacques martin had to put an end to no, that no, it was yeah. the other one huh well the triple oh five yeah who, who ended the triple oh five was it oh it was, was michelle terry it was terry it was terry yeah. yeah well i have a terry question for you. i've always wanted to oh. ask you this pat and i always thought that, i think i asked you this off air once when he came back the second time and Pat, I don't, I don't know if Michelle's gonna hear this. <laughs> was there any part of you that was like, "Oh fuck"? Because he was, uh, a, he was Iron Mike Terrian, right? He was angry yeah, Mike yeah, Terrian, yeah, yeah. and he went to Pittsburgh, and I got, I think, got angrier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when, when he came back, what was your initial reaction? My, initial, was, my initial reaction was, "No, please don't, please don't do this." Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, he was a lot. He was a lot better coach the second time around. He was, yeah. he was a lot easier to deal with. Yeah, and uh, I think I think he learned something in in uh, Pittsburgh. Um, I think Mario Tremblay, who was a terrible coach <laughs> when he when he re- replaced uh, Jacques Demers, and but all those years, if he had all those years working as, as Jacques Lemaire's assistant. At the end of that, he was a good coach. He should have had a he should have had another shot in the NHL job. Hmm. And I'm not a big Mario Tremblay fan, so. Um, but he became a better coach. His his biggest problem was he didn't have a coach. He yeah. went from a broadcast booth. He was a player went to the broadcast booth and then went behind the bench. Yeah, and he just wasn't ready for it. They tried and- to, his first year after his first year. They tried to get him to go. Roger Nielsen used to have a. Sort of a summer camp for coaches in Peterborough. And uh-huh. coaches would come there and they would exchange ideas and they would hang out and drink beer and summer camp for hockey coaches. I wanna I, mean, and, I wanna go to that. And, <laughs> and, and it was just you know, it was and he said, I I don't need that. I don't need that. That's dumb. No. Nah, Closing, turn, turn, first get, of all, shutting yourself off from your peers in any profession is yeah. usually not a great idea. Yeah. You need to you need to bond with them a bit, but yeah. do you think they got the right one now, Marty? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really enjoy Marty. I think he's bright. He's intelligent. He's the best spoken coach that they've had that I've, years, that yeah. I've had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> far and away. I mean, both, lang- both languages. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, there are guys. There are guys. You know, Kent Hitchcock was was really good. Uh, you know, just to talk to about hockey and Scotty Bowman, of course, was was fantastic. And Marty's up in that that same category. Wow. That's. I mean, I was when they. When they hired him on last year, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then, yeah. obviously, you saw Caulfield turn it around seemingly overnight. Suddenly, yeah. Suzuki's opening it up also. And I was like, oh, okay, no, this is – yeah. like, if he sticks around, how long he wants to stick around, I don't know. But I was like, but he's – for the as a fan, watching the Canadians play, I was like, give me give me one goal wins and losses right now so nobody's getting too, too down. Obviously, yeah, yeah. we're not looking at a full-fledged contender by any stretch. But, like, keep it engaged, do some back and forth, let people make mistakes, let people get ice time, yeah. and that's everything I'm seeing, which was the, the, I think that was the worst of the, oh, the worst of some of the Julian stuff was when you watched zero ice time for rookies and whatever else, and he goes to his old guys and all that, and it was such yeah. a turn on the dime. And obviously, the less we say about uh, Dom, <laughs> the, the better that was a yeah. The, the, the less you say about the coach who most recently brought the Montreal Canadiens to the Stanley Cup final, the better. I don't think I don't think he's the coach who brought him there. No, I the mean, coach they did not bring they him there. No one else has gone there in thirty years. I, yeah, I don't think it was the coach. Thirty that years this summer. Well, it was it was the circumstances of the league. Yeah. You know, it wasn't I think it was also the goaltender's <laughs> best shot. 
I, goal, it, it was the goaltender's best shot, and and for for a good portion of that, Kirk Muller. I mean that uh, Muller coached him. Yeah, not yeah. Muller, not Muller, but um, oh, the guy's in Chicago now. Um, Luke uh, Richardson. Uh, Luke Richardson. Luke Richardson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, so, but there was there was. I mean, you, again, you probably know. I read it somewhere where, from the span of. Claude Julian, like, having to step away, step back and the Stanley Cup final, because the schedule is so compressed, they had, like, two or three practices. You can't tell me that was Dom Ducharme's team. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, <laughs> you know, like, like, I'm just saying, like, like in that span of, like, two months, they had two or three practices because the schedule is so compressed. It's not like he suddenly reinvented. No, he, start, he kept playing the exact same system that Julian was playing, and a couple guys, like you said, kind of saw it as their last shot. Played through their... I think, I mean, we were talking about this during the run, but as someone who covered him day to day, were you happy for Carey Price that he got that moment in the sun that wasn't part of Team Canada necessarily, that he was the reason they made it to the finals, and as convoluted and weird as it was, like, I was still happy for him. I think, I think it was probably, Price might have realized this was his last shot. Yeah. yeah. Um... You know, I mean, he was hurt for a while, right? He's been he's been hurt since uh, since the Olympics, since he won the gold medal at the Olympics. Yeah. Really, yeah, he came yeah. back from that with a bad knee, and uh, you know, he was dominant that year, man, that whole year. And yeah. then he had he had one year when they went to the Eastern Final. Yeah, that was the the Kreider. Kreider, you know, Kreider ran into him, and uh, you know, it, it's funny because the, you know, aside from that that one, you know, we won that year when. The COVID year, I mean, they went to the Eastern Final twice. Halak was there once, and uh, yeah. and Dustin Dukarski ended up being in the. Uh, yeah. Dustin Dukarski played. I think the game they got eliminated. Dustin Dukarski only gave up one or two goals. Yeah, was he in Austin six that against that Ranger team, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I don't think. Any, I mean, like, I don't think anyone can hold that against yeah. Dukarski, right? Yeah. Well, because no, it was uh, he played so well that it convinced you that if Price was there. The way he was playing, they would have won that series. They, yeah. they would have won the kind of the, the only, the only, the miss was was it Budai? That was the, that was like when Budai got the start and got shelled in game three or four or whatever. That was uh, yeah. that was I think the only real game. That, that was a fun team, man. Yeah. Is that a fun team to cover? That fifteen team? Yeah, it was a good team. Yeah, I feel that feels like a fun. As a fan, that was my favorite Habs team of the last twenty years. Um, we saw, I think, the best non-goalie playoff performance from a Canadian with PK that year. He was an incredible rate yeah. scoring yeah. goals and highlight real goals. And Pacioretty was a, was, a, was a force. That whole team yeah. was really – and they beat Boston in a, in, a, in a series where they had to come back from – And no business. It was a 1-8 They had no business right? in that series. Well, that, yeah. was, that, was, that was the time when PK got involved and, you know, the racist, the racist yeah, the uh, things and, and things like that. And he said – you know, he he played it right. I mean, he said, "I'll, I'll just, I'll just answer all these critics on the on the on the ice." Yep. And he scored the winning goal. Yeah. Yep. So shut him right up. Yeah. yeah. Who's your uh, over the years again? Like I said, looking back at nearly fifty years of sports coverage, who's your your top players that you've covered? Like, uh, like just like guys who you were like, oh, I. I Easily. Across all sports, every every, not... every every time yeah, you watch yeah. him play, I got a paragraph for free because this guy was great. To yeah. Yeah. Cover. Well, I mean, you know, Bellabo, John Ferguson, uh, uh, Cornway, you know, those guys, yeah. uh, Dryden, um, and, you know, pretty much all those guys in that Lafleur, yeah. in, in that era, you know, yeah. in the 70s. I was gone for the second half of that. You know, I was in Toronto by that time. But, uh, you know, um, I, I always had a lot of other time for Kirk Muller. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick, we had some interesting times together, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so there were, there were, um, some of the, those ones, the tennis guys that you covered. There were a lot of guys, um, like you've obviously been, well, Federer yeah, and, you know, Federer, Federer was class, class act, Serena was good, um, you know, going back to. You know, I want to go back. Arthur Ashe was a classy, classy guy. You covered Arthur uh, Ashe? What? You covered Arthur Ashe? 
I covered Arthur Ashe. I played Arthur Ashe. Well, shut the fuck up. That's <laughs> <laughs> fucking. This. These are like great stories. How'd you play? How'd you do against him? I won five points. Oh, that's my boy. Uh, I think one of them was one of them was Arthur double faulted. No, they all count. <laughs> Um, it's in the books. It's in the books counts. I mean, you know, it was it was. Um, I, I used to tell people that Arthur Ashe ended my tennis career. <laughs> um, actually, my, my tennis career ended a, a month or two after that. Uh, like when I played Arthur, he was eighteen. I was sixteen. And the age groups then were thirteen, fifteen, and eighteen. Okay. So the first year you were in eighteens, I was still a kid. Arthur yeah. had finished his first year at UCLA. He was a man. Yeah, I was and, gonna say, like and, at sixteen, you're like, look, I got a and, couple, I got a couple and, of hairs. Eighteen, and, you have a full beard. But then, you know? but <laughs> then later on that summer, I lost to a guy in in Syracuse, and this guy beat me love and love. And it was one of those things where I had beaten him once, I, I had taken him to three sets once, but I just had everything went everything went wrong, and. Uh, so at the end of it, he gave me his father's card. His father was a postman who gave tennis lessons in Brooklyn, <laughs> and said, "When you get back to the city, you gotta, you gotta look up my father and take some lessons." And where the guy's name was Steve Rubel. Does that name ring a bell? No, uh, too young, I think. Yeah, certainly before my time. Also. Steve Rubel. Yeah. Tell us who it is, Pat. He was he was the owner of Studio Fifty Four. Oh, oh <laughs> that's why you're like. <laughs> So, oh, so what we're saying is Pat Pat was hanging out at Studio Fifty Four. I believe so, it. I, 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 you tell me that Pat was hanging out with Donna Rickles and fucking Jerry Lewis one night looking at Arthur Ashe tape. I would believe it too. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I see. It. I see well, it. They, they. Uh, uh, years later, I was covering baseball in Toronto, and I happened to mention at some point I knew the guy that owned Studio Fifty Four. These guys said, "Do you think you can get us in?" So I called up this guy. I said, hey, you probably don't remember me, but, you know, we played tennis, you know, and kid, oh, yeah, I remember you, red-headed kid, you know, and, and I beat your ass, you know, and I said, yeah, well, right, <laughs> yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever, you know, so I said, you know, I'm covering, I'm a sports writer now in Toronto, and I'm going to cover, you know, going to come down and cover the Yankees series, and I said, I wonder, you know, I'll get some friends, you know, I wonder if we can get into Studio 54. Like I said, nah, no problem. How many people? I said, three, you know. I said, no problem. So we go to Yankee, cover the Yankee game, get there around midnight, which is optimal time for getting into Studio 54. Now, I've got a linen jacket, and I've got Ferragamo shoes, and I'm looking you know, good. I'm, I'm dressed for yeah, Studio yeah. 54. I got a open neck shirt. Yeah, yeah. The other guys I'm with are real slubs. You know, they got uh, they got bubble knit pants and uh, you know, this is the 19, late 1970s, you know, they got bubble knit pants, golf shirts and we walk up to the front, you know, Dorman's looking us up and down. There's no way you're getting in here, guys, you know, and just, uh, I said, no, oh, we're on the list, you know, and the guy looks, yeah, you're on the list. And so we go inside and it's 25 bucks cover charge. And you get your first drink free. Okay. Yeah, but what's that with so, inflation? That's like a hundred bucks to get in, <laughs> or 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 free drink. So we get yeah. so we get in, and there's a bottle of champagne on the table, and I feel, hey, my friend Steve's taking care of me, you know. And uh, so the woman comes over, and says, "Would you like me to open the champagne?" I said, "Sure, you know, go ahead." Oh shit! Oh no, bad. <laughs> yeah, that was sad. That champagne was four hundred dollars no, for the bottle. Just, you know, talk about inflation. <laughs> I mean, worth it in my mind. If you got you had to spend, yeah, with a couple studio, Yankees. You got to spend a night at Studio Fifty Four after a Yankees game. I think that's a pretty. Yeah, it's a pretty I would, good would, night. would do. I'd spend a lot of money to recreate that. Uh, one of the okay, go okay, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, mentioning covering the Yankees, mentioning covering Toronto. What is the one? Like, obviously, we're, we're talking to you because you're on the cusp of retirement, gonna be packing it in as a, as a writer. What was the one beat if you were like I could. What would you that you didn't cover? Like you're like, what was a beat job that you would want that you didn't get to do over the course of your like? Uh, I I probably would have liked to cover U.S. college basketball. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, March, like a March NCAA, Madness NCAA, run, March Madness. like a March Madness run, or like the whole season. March March Madness, a full season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's something different with with college sports in the states. Where you're, you're I think people don't know Pat's 
You consider yourself American Canadian or American American first, though, right? I'm a, I'm a Canadian. I'm a dual citizen. Dual but I'm, citizen a, I'm a Canadian yeah. first. There you go. Love you, Pat. Although you'd have to. Is there a team? Because I heard I only found this out this week that college sports beat is insane because the your your access as media is like apparently just like determined school by school and usually coach by coach. So if the coach wants to like shut the door on whoever's covering them, it's yeah, because most of the time people got them on fucking college interns. Sure, but that's it. But there's still nothing you can do about it. If no. you're on a college sports beat, if the yeah, yeah. coach feels like slamming the door in your face, there's nothing, yeah, no recourse. Yeah, but is yeah. there a team that you would be like want to follow, or would you like to follow like a whole? I just in general, uh, you know. Okay, I mean, I've, I've gone to. I, I covered a lot of Syracuse games. Yeah, when Leo Routens was a yeah, yeah. Um, Canadian was playing for them. Um, I. You know, my the best college basketball game I ever saw was I, I saw a UCLA Notre Dame game one year, and at at uh, UCLA Westwood, and uh, that was that was pretty. What well, era UCLA basketball is this? Oh, who geez. was on the team? Um, well, wouldn't it just just retired? Larry Farmer was the coach. Um, I can't. I can't remember who was on the team, but I remember going out afterwards and going out to the Bruin Lounge with Bill Walton, <laughs> Kareem. That's amazing. Pete Turkovich, Mike Warren, who was played with Walton, was on the Hill Street Blues. Uh, uh, Richard Washington, uh, uh, Greg Lee, who played with Walton. Um, Swen Nader. Um, uh, there was there about a dozen players, at, and we went, went out, and uh, and we ended up at some disco, and <laughs> being properly and, served. And it's, it's, it's a million people lined up outside the disco, and we just went to the front of the line, and nice. you know, opened up. Uh, it's like like the scene from. Seen from Godfathers, you know, where they suddenly yeah, find yeah. a table and uh, you too. And uh, and uh, Pat, can I ask you a nerdy a nerdy question real yeah. quick? Um, we were talking off air about LeBron James, who yeah, just, last just, night was yeah. the scoring record champion, and and you've also covered Sidney Crosby's career. Is there any other example in your career that you've covered or been up watched two guys? Who met such insane expectations for them before their career? Well, yeah, started. I mean, also Ovechkin too. You can't. Ovechkin, I, mean, I don't know, but Crosby well, was on covers of magazines sure. at twelve. But uh, but we're now country. we're now yeah, looking yeah, a season yeah. two away well, from maybe well, Ovechkin I mean, you know, breaking it. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, I mean, I covered Gretzky, so yeah, exactly. No, it's uh, uh, oh, the pressure, the pressure was on Wayne at that level too. Oh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if they. Oh, I don't know. If, I don't know if there was pressure on him to to get. To you know, be the to best, get at a certain yeah. point. No, it's that, but just, after uh, when he started in LA, that was he yeah, was on magazine yeah, covers yeah, and everything, yeah, and they were using yeah. to market the whole sport. Because as a young and kid uh, in Canada, like the moment we heard about Sidney Crosby, all we heard about was he's, yeah. he's the next Gretzky, yeah. and LeBron was well, he's the next Jordan. Yeah. And I think living up to that hype is something that it has to be like pretty special. Because yeah. I don't know, I can't think. I I'm sure you could give us tens of athletes who've fallen short of even the most. Alexandrian <laughs> level of expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always expectations on, you know, on players, and uh, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how how Connor Bedard does if he's the yep. next generation. I yep. mean, I I think Connor McDavid might, you know, might be better than than any of those guys. Yeah, because he's uh, another one who's met who's met the expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah McDavid's yeah. an unreal. Like it's like. Um, the Athletic just did their yeah. their, their, their yeah. top 100 hockey players called an NHL 99 with like obviously the caveat before they even started. They're like, there's number one is Gretzky. Like it's like yeah, we're, yeah, not, yeah. Yeah. No, we're not dancing yeah, around yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Number yeah. one is Gretzky. It's yeah. way less debatable in hockey than it is in basketball. Yeah. In basketball, yeah. you have a serious argument for not just LeBron or Michael, but Kareem. Kareem is in the mix. Yeah. Magic Johnson maybe is Kareem, in the mix. Magic Johnson, Oscar yeah. Robertson. Oscar Robertson. Uh, you know, I mean, there's all. You know, every generation, has, <coughs> every generation has a different, different player. You know, for example, um, you know Stephen Curry. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, he's a different player from all those other guys. But who's to say he's not he's not up there with, with yeah, these I mean, guys? Yeah, but no. like when you look at Steph Curry, fundamentally changes the game, yeah, right? Yeah, like it's yeah. just all of a sudden he like he genuinely moved the three point line, yeah, and every yeah. other team had to figure out. To how which, to yeah, to yeah. which people every year are like harping the league to get rid of the three point line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pat, yeah. we do a really original thing on this show for podcasts. No other podcast does it. We ask our guests five other questions at the end of the podcast. Um, so it's basically three questions that we ask every guest. Uh, our fourth question comes in from our last guest host, who was Josh uh, Clark, Josh Clark, Montreal yeah. rapper and comedian, Josh Clark. Yep. Uh, shout out to Josh. And you ask as our fifth question, you're asking blindly our next host, a question that we will answer today. So the first question, Keith, go ahead. Uh, what is your hottest take of the moment in, in anything, in anything? Yeah. Could be a food, sports, the weather, doesn't matter. Give me a Disney Plus uh, <laughs> game, whatever you need, Pat. <laughs> Movie you just saw, loved it, hated it, doesn't um, matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I, I saw the Banshees of Minnesota the other night. Okay. And uh, uh, Oscar nominated, right? Yeah. Oscar nominated film. Uh, Brendan Gleeson, tremendous job. Colin Farrell, tremendous job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's supposed to be a comedy. Uh, spoiler alert! It's not. Not much comedy, eh? <laughs> not much comedy. But it's a great, it's a great movie. Okay, that's I like that. Hot uh, take, not funny. Hot take, Pat <laughs> not funny movie. <laughs> great film, not funny. Pat Hickey. Uh, there it is. I, I'm really interested in this one. Who is your personal star of the cast of Sesame Street? Uh, I Who pers- do you consider your Wayne Gretzky of the cast of Sesame Street. Yeah. Who's your MVP of Sesame Street? Of Sesame Street. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Big Bird. Hey! Big Bird. Big Bird. OG. Hey! Big Bird. OG. Big Bird. Yeah, yeah. I think Big Bird was the OG star. Big, like, Big, Big Bird and Elmo yeah. are leaders in the clubhouse, I yeah. think. Yeah. I think so. Well, because he also had the movie, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, Catch That Bird was a big thing when it came out. Yeah. And I was getting, oh, man. I That's mean, Kermit cool. was interesting, you know, yeah. except he had a pick for a girlfriend, so, you know, just that. Anyway, he was more Muppet Show though. He was—I think he was a bit player on Sesame yeah, yeah. Street. Kermit was shining on the Muppet Show. Okay. Yeah, more than anything else. Uh, you want to take question three? Because I yeah, didn't say yeah, yeah, exactly. What? Uh, this is funny asking you this, but what piece of media, whether it's a book, article, film, TV show, album, album, whatever, whatever the genre, has been the most transformative in your life? This is our uh, artist deep oh, question. Yeah, over here. yeah, yeah. Well. I'll offer two. Casablanca is a movie. Greatest movie ever. Uh, My son won't watch it because it's black and white. And Catch-22, which I think is the funniest book I've ever read. Catch-22 is great. No bullshit, Pat. This question was my question to this year for the podcast. Uh And when we asked it and I answered, it was your your column every Saturday – was I said as a as a sports fan growing up? Yep. And I truly mean that you were the most important thing in my life every Saturday morning. Uh, to get to know you later in life and do stand up with you has been a, a treat. But to have this conversation today has been really special. So before Keith closes it up, thank you so much, Pat. We really yeah. appreciate you. And uh, Keith has question number Chris five. Chris isn't wrong. You, know, well, you can go back and listen to the. 2021 episode. Yeah, I think when we, 20, when we 2021 when we, when, we, when we worked up these questions, this your your name came up <laughs> as like just reading that sports column every every weekend was. He was like, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, it had different vari- name variations over the years, yeah. but the Saturday, open the fold, page three down the page. Yeah. So many different. So many different. It used to be just a little column in the red fish in the red line, right? You went from yeah. that to the whole section, so <laughs> that's the best glow up ever, Pat. We fucking love you. Believe it or not, Chris is not a big book reader. That's too long. I gotta see. <laughs> <laughs> Your columns were just the right size for a young Chris <laughs> Andino. It's Pat's column. It's now Bleacher Report. You know? There you go. That's it. What's uh, uh, what's the question? Four? Question number four. Um, I'm wondering if, if espe- like especially, I'm assuming you watch a lot of sports on TV. Obviously, you're not always at the game, as I'm sure you are there as much as possible. But Josh Clark wanted to know what TV commercial stands out in your mind. If you're like, hey, what was the commercial that you'll like not forget? Don't know why he wanted to know that. But thank God we had uh, we asked this to somebody who has cable. Yeah, you yeah. know, I liked I liked the Miller Lite commercials where they had former athletes. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. About, you know, 
I was like, when you, as soon as you said like former athletes, whatever, immediately jumped to mind. A memorable commercial was the the Lay's one with the uh, Messier, like Chip. Mm. That was also just I don't know. Ken Tremendous, the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl ads, right? Yeah. A big linebacker in football. Yeah. So the Miller Lite ads. I also like like this yeah. was nineties, like eighties, nineties, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you ask your question, do you have a pick for Sunday for the Super Bowl? Um. Yeah. I'm. 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 Rooting for Kansas City. I don't yeah, know. I figured you weren't going to we, we go about, anywhere near rooting we, for Philadelphia. We, we talked about this. This actually, again, before we had booked you, before we did, even had the idea to book you to the show, this came up on our last episode. You're not the most well-liked in Philly, or at least your car isn't the most well-liked in oh, Philly. I don't, I don't, I, I, have, I have lots of friends in Philly. Yeah. Fuck them, Pat. Fuck them. One, one of my favorite bars in Philly. Yeah. It's a place called Monaghan's out by the airport. It's just uh and I'm 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 really sad that I'm not going to be able to go later this month. Mm-hmm. Canadians play in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and we would have had three nights in Philly, and uh, I was looking oh. forward to hanging out in this yeah. place. And uh, it's not going to happen. I mean, retirement, it, it, what retirement is what you make of it, Pat. You can still yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can yeah but it's, it's, it, it feels different when it's not yeah, somebody yeah. else's dime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. If you're not getting your way paid. Really also, I mean. You've written this before, but Philly fans, that, that didn't represent all of Philly sports course, fans yeah. to you. But yeah. the bad side of Philly sports fans is I, mean, I, was, I would bad. say there was a, I hate the Niners, but one of the, the, the wife of the middle linebacker, Fred Warner's wife, came out after the game, the NFC Championship game, was like, I'm never coming back to Philadelphia. Mm. She just straight up said on her Twitter, I'm never going back there. That's how uncomfortable it was for her, so... I mean, you know, you, even even after, if you're not familiar, Pat, was Google it, it was the 2010. It was the 2010, yeah, yeah. 2010 Eastern Conference Finals. Pat was down in Philly and some uh, hooligans, some some Philadelphia goons slash the tires. Obviously, not even targeting your card. It's probably targeting a Quebec plate. Yeah. But I remember even just like the next day, your article was not an indictment of Philly fans. You said a couple of couple of idiots, couple of yeah. jackoffs. Yeah. Like, I remember. Your friend Mitch Melnick had a great open that night. I, I I still tell Melnick the most fired up he ever was was when he was coming to a fierce defense <laughs> of Pat Hickey's car during the 2010 Stanley Cup playoff run. Uh, question number five, Pat. To our future guests, what would you like to ask him? What's the most interesting place you ever had sex? What's the most interesting place? The Comedy Nest parking lot. Yay. <laughs> Most interesting place you've had sex. Oh, jeez, Pat. That's My dad fun. listens to this show, Pat. You're going to make me... <laughs> what a way to end it, though. Pat Hickey would love to know. <laughs> Pat Hickey. <laughs> Patrick Valentine Hickey would love to know. Uh, uh, Keith? I got, I mean, like, right... You, like, you do a lot of drugs, Keith. Where, where, where's the most interesting... It wasn't even, it wasn't even a lot of drugs. Uh, again, I've been... You were on ketamine. Where, where were I wasn't you? wasn't on anything. I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding. I was actually... So... <laughs> I'm fucking... We were in Huntington Beach. Uh, this was kind of like when... If you remember, you know, like, Hot Huntington Wires... Huntington Beach? Huntington Beach, yeah. Wow. The OC, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you remember when Hot Wire was kind of getting established as a website... There used to be, like, insane deals. So we were at this, like, five-star resort hotel in Huntington Beach. Everybody there is paying, like, $400, $500 a night. We counted. There was, like, six swimming pools on site yeah. overlooking the beach. Everybody has way more money than my wife and I at the time. We are paying $80 a night because it was right when Hotwire was starting and the deals were insane. We had no business being there at all. And, uh, yeah, it was just, like... Classy hotel, classy whatever else. And we were like, hot tubs everywhere. Like, I don't even know how many hot tubs there were. And we just, you know, decided to have sex in the hot tub because we're at this classy place. Like, our logic was, if we get caught, we just act like we're rich because of where we are. And we're easily like, nobody's getting us in trouble because we're just like, do you know who we are? We're OC rich people. And that was our cover. We didn't get caught. You do not look like an OC rich person in any Sarah could pull it off. Sarah can pull off anything she wants to pull off. But you, <laughs> you, uh, Pat, this has been a fucking pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, Pat, Pat Hickey, ladies and gentlemen. Happy retirement, Pat. Obviously, I think I, Thank you. I heard a lot of people just wishing you that you, you wind up spending as much time on a beach. Spend as much time wherever you want. If it's a beach, if it's watching sports, if it's fo- following college, be- like basketball, obviously, this is it. He timed it. 
He timed the retirement so he doesn't even have to. <laughs> he's gonna go to March Madness. He's going to March Madness, baby. Fuck you, fuck you, Lucy. Thank you, Pat. Pat thank you so much. Hey there, loyal listener who listens to the show all the way past the closing credits. Um, thank you for listening to Go Plug Yourself. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you enjoy the show, I cannot stress this enough. Please tell people about it. We don't really have a budget for marketing or fancy Facebook ads or putting up billboards on the street. Uh, we really have to rely on word of mouth, which uh, basically means that if you listen to the show and you enjoy the show, Please uh, share it, link it, uh, tell your friends about it. Say, hey, there's this show called Go Plug Yourself. They talk to Montrealers or people that have stuff going on in Montreal or uh, just people that have stuff to uh, promote that we kind of care about. We can we can go outside of Montreal if we want to. Um, yeah, so just tell tell people about the show. It's a, it's a fun show. We, we like doing it a lot. We've done it for over 200 episodes, and it's in large part thanks to support from uh, people like you. Um, if you want to support the show at all you can go to uh, patreon.com slash nine to five cc and uh, throw a couple bucks our way it really helps with uh, the hosting fees for the most part we're really not trying to make a profit on this um, and also if you want to be a guest on the show or you know someone who might uh, want to be a guest on the show you can uh, contact us either on facebook or on twitter there's a bunch of ways to find us uh, and uh, and let us know and if the scheduling and the timing and everything works out maybe you can be the next person who uh, comes on the show and uh, plugs something a uh, big thank you as always to Leland Beckman and Oral Turpitude who provided our theme songs and of course a thank you to uh, all of the hosts that we have on the show uh, Walter J. Ling who is technically retired but still sometimes hosts uh, Christopher Vendito, Lawrence Korber and uh, Ines Anaya uh, all, are all amazing co-hosts and you should support them and their comedy and uh, and all of that. Uh, thank you for listening thank you for choosing Go Plug Yourself uh, as one of your from the millions of podcasts and have a beautiful day Thank you. 905.cc, podcasts, blogs, and comics. Made in Montreal since 2011.